Testing. Hello. Okay. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I uh, I don't know about you, but based on the weather a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty happy they caught that groundhog this week. So, if you're not familiar with that reference, uh, Friday was Groundhog's Day, and he predicted an early spring. So uh, I'm all excited about that. I'm tired of winter. I'm tired of the cold. I'm ready to move on. Um, and last week, FH broke the news that I would be preaching this morning. So if you're here last week and you decided to come back to hear me speak, thank you. And I appreciate the support. If you're new this morning or, or maybe you're visiting with us, you're not a regular member here, uh, my name is Joshua Haskins. I'm a, a member here at this congregation literally my entire life. I was born and raised here in this town and in this congregation. I'm not the typical pulpit minister, but I'm just filling in today. But I invite you to come back with us this evening at 6 p.m. and join us again for worship. So this morning, uh, if, if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. That's where our lesson will be taking place this morning. There we go. So if you're not the regular pulpit minister and you're asked to fill in and give a lesson, probably one of the best places you could start is to go to the greatest sermon ever given. To take your lesson and make notes from, from the greatest sermon ever given. And we find that beginning in Matthew chapter 5. See, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we know today as the Sermon on the Mount. It's in these three chapters that, that Christ is describing what it's like to be a citizen of God's kingdom. He's, he's telling those people they're following him, he's giving them a, a description of the citizen of God's kingdom. And of course, this isn't a physical description. He's not, he's not providing a physical description of a citizen of God's kingdom, rather a spiritual description of a citizen of God's kingdom. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it can be kind of divided into two parts. You have chapter 5, which uh, begins the Sermon on the Mount, and, and then there's right towards the end of chapter 5, there becomes chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, and, and that second part, that longer part, that, that consists of 6 and 7, Christ is describing the conduct of a citizen of God's kingdom, the actions and the day-to-day -day life of a citizen of God's kingdom. It's in this section of scripture where Christ teaches us how to pray, where Christ teaches us how to deal with anger, retaliation. He teaches us about lust, oaths, divorce. And it's also in these two chapters, Matthew 6 and 7, where you'll find some of the most famous sayings and teachings in all of history. Things like the golden rule, which is famous both to believers and non-believers. But this morning, I don't want to focus on Matthew 6 and 7. Uh, in fact, we're going to focus on the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to focus in Matthew chapter 5. And to give you a little bit of background, Matthew chapter 5 is early on in Jesus' ministry. He's, he has a crowd following him, and he sits down and he delivers this message to the people. And he starts in Matthew 
chapter 5, verse 2, with what we know today as the Beatitudes. The attitudes which you should be to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And as, as Christ has given these, each one of these on its own could be a lesson. You could stop and analyze and, and break down each and every one of these Beatitudes in its own and, and create an entire sermon out of them. But let's begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. See, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are so poor spiritually that they, they realize that they're so bankrupt spiritually they have nothing to give to God. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that, that realize that their sins have separated them from God and that it causes them to mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are simply or will slide over, will allow God's will to take control of their life, that they realize that God's way is better than their way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, blessed are those that, that hunger and thirst after God's own right way. Psalms 34 tells us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Blessed are those who taste and see, who hunger and thirst for God's own right way. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are willing to offer to others what God has offered to them. Who aren't looking to find something wrong with someone else, but just willing to forgive. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who come before God with no mixed motives. Those who are genuine. Those, are, those who are unsealed. Those who, who keep it real and what you see is what you get. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who will approach a situation and just simply want to make it better, who, who aren't looking to stir the pot, who aren't looking to, to throw in their own two cents, but are simply looking to provide a calm and comfort with God's wisdom. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, blessed are those that are willing to walk the walk and talk the talk. Blessed are those that are, are willing to swim upstream. Blessed are those that are willing to go against the grain of the world and they just keep walking. So it's at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, those that, those that were listening to him, you know, at this point they, they probably maybe were scratching their head a little bit. Because if you think about these Beatitudes, they're radical statements, especially if you're, you're beginning your ministry and you're starting your sermon with, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that hunger and thirst, blessed are the meek. See, it's, it's in our own nature that we don't want to be labeled as someone who is hungry and thirsty, someone who's poor, someone who's meek. It's in our own human nature where we want to be someone that's independent, someone that's strong, someone that doesn't need anyone else. And so when Christ has given this lesson, you know, you can see the people there, you know, maybe they're, they're scratching their head because these are, these are some radical statements. These are, these are challenging statements. See, what Christ is doing here, the Sermon on the Mount, like I said, is, is in two parts. It's, it's two pieces. The back half 
is the conduct of a citizen of God's kingdom. But this front part is the character. See, Christ, from here, from, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 16, the next couple of, of verses, Christ is connecting the character of the Beatitudes to the conduct that we find in the, the second half of the Sermon on the Mountain. Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's, th th this section of the Sermon on the Mount is the glue that holds this together. It's the bridge that connects the, the Beatitudes to Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. And what he's saying here is, is, is he's giving these Beatitudes, the, the people listening, you know, it, it, it had to challenge them. And we had, we had this read this morning. It said, blessed are you. If you notice there, Jesus' tone shifts just a little bit. See, all these Beatitudes, Jesus is providing an example. It's like he's talking about a third person. It's blessed are they, blessed are thee, blessed are those. But here in, in verse 11, the tone shifts just a little bit, and Christ says, blessed are you. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Well, excuse me, ran too far there. <laughs> uh, got ahead of myself there. So what, what Jesus is doing, here is now he's, he's shifted the tone just a little bit, and he says, blessed are you. Jesus here is challenging the people there. He's talking directly to them. He's saying... If you want to be a citizen of God's kingdom, I have a role for you. See, the world is going to persecute you. If you follow these beatitudes, if you live your life by these attitudes, these attitudes in which you should be, the world will negatively react. You will have challenges because you live your life in this way. But I want you to keep walking. See, it's in our own human nature again to kind of resist persecution. You know, as humans, like I said, we want to be strong. We want to be independent. We also want the easy road. And everything that we do, if, if there's a, a, a path between the hard road and the easy road, so oftentimes we're going to take the path of, path of least resistance. But Christ challenges those listening to him here and says, as a citizen of God's kingdom, it's not your role to isolate yourself from the world, to, to build up these high walls and separate yourself from the world. Now, in fact, he gives them a role here, starting in verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So, when Christ is giving this lesson, and he, he mentions that you are the salt of the earth, That probably hit a little differently then than it does now. What would those people have thought when he says salt of the earth? When we hear that term, uh, that person's uh, salt of the earth, or those are salt of the earth people. You know, that's a term that, that we pull from this passage, and quite simply today it just means they're, they're a good person. That's usually when we, when we say that, we're just complimenting them as, as they're a good person. But... When Jesus gave this lesson, what, what would the people then have thought when, when he mentioned salt? See, salt, especially in those times, was a distinct and valuable thing. See, today we think of salt 
as something, it, it's not really something we think about. It, it's in our food. You know, a couple weeks ago it was on the road melting the snow, but other than that, we don't really think about salt all that much. But see, in their lifetime, when they uh, were living in, in, in during this time, salt was very valuable. If you've heard the term, he's not worth his salt, it is, is pulled from, from this time period in history. You see, in, in, in those times, Roman soldiers were paid in salt at certain times. And when they received that payment of salt, it's known as salarium. My alignment did not look like this at home, but <laughs> uh, it is not, it's called salarium. And we get our word salary from that word salarium. So salt at that time was, was something that was very valuable. It was something that you got paid in. It was something that, that they would have recognized as, as distinct and valuable, uh, an, an expensive necessity. But why, why was it a necessity? Why, why is it so important then compared to today's time? And see, this is, this is the one that we can, we can kind of start to associate with a little bit here. Salt is a preservative. Salt preserves. You remember, this is, this is the Middle East. It's hot. This is back before they had freezers. Or as my four-year-old daughter likes to say, refrigerators. They didn't have the modern technology that we have today, the, the appliances that we have. The only way that they could preserve their meat, the only way they could preserve their food, that they could store it and eat it later, was to soak it in salt. So the, the people then... They would have prevented rot or spoil by soaking their meat in salt. So what Christ is saying here is you be the salt to the earth. You prevent the earth from spoiling. You delay the process of rot in the earth. Simply salt rejects or delays the bad and it keeps in the good. So Christ is saying, you, you be the salty of the earth. If the earth is headed down a path of destruction and rot and sin, the presence of the citizens of God's kingdom should be slowing that down, should be delaying that process. And finally, taste. Taste is even mentioned in the verse. But taste is probably what we think of when we think of salt. When we hear that term, that, that's the one that makes the more sense, most sense to us. Because salt, in, in our own lives today, it's, it's really something that, it enhances flavors. It's something that, that we use in cooking. And we think about, you know, just think about your favorite food. Whatever your favorite food is. It probably has a little bit of salt in it. You might even add some more salt to make it taste better. Or, you know, at my house, I, I, when, I, when I think about this point, I immediately think about the summertime and about... What, what our favorite food is at our house. See, if you come to my house in the summertime and you open up that refrigerator we were talking about, you're probably going to find one of those small seedless watermelons from Kroger in there if my son hasn't already eaten it by that point. But a lot of times we, we like to put salt on watermelon. It enhances the flavor. It just makes things better. It's a good thing for the watermelon, for the food. And see, like 
the salt is to the food, so we are to be to those around us. It should be a good thing that we have students and teachers in our school systems that are Christians. It should be a good thing that we have Christians at our workplace. It should be a good thing that we have Christians all around us in our community. It should be a good thing for Lebanon, Tennessee that Hallen Heights is in this community. So Christ would go on in the next passage and he would say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Christ, he continues this thought, this you are the salt. Now he says, you are the light. See, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, you, you light the light to light up the whole house. So he says, so, you know, be that light. The good works, be that light that others can see the glory of the Father who is in heaven in you. So as, as Christ is, is delivering this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father that is in heaven. See, when we think about salt, we think about those preservative nature, that taste. And in their times, the value and the distinction of salt and how important it was. But what about light? See, light... Light would have, would have been something also that those people in those times would have been very, very familiar with. See, Jesus, as he does so oftentimes in, in, in all of uh, the New Testament, is, is, is he's giving his, his lessons throughout the gospel. He uses simple and practical explanations that are so much deeper. See, light and salt, it's simple, but it's deep. It's, it's practical, but it's profound. And with, with light, it's no, it's no different. See, light, light is selfless. When you light a light, it is to reveal something. It is to illuminate. The light does not stay inward. The light shines outward. Light in its own nature is, is selfless. It's used to reveal. It's used to illuminate. And it's not intended to be hidden. As Christ says, uh, in, in 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. So, as, as we shine our lights, if we are light to the world, it would do us no good to put that light under a basket. Light is selfless. There's also a standard with light. The first person that came in this room this morning, I'm sure it was dark, and they, as long as everything was working, they went and flipped on that light switch, and the light came on. This light was, the, this room was, was lit up. See, there's a standard with light that it always conquers darkness. It always penetrates darkness. If you were to go up to Kentucky and go to Mammoth Cave, they do some tours where you can go through the cave and and it's well lit, and, and, and they take you on this tour, and you go through some, some small nooks and crannies, and eventually you get towards the back of the cave, and there's this big opening. 
and they turn off all the lights. And you're so far up under the earth that you can experience something known as, as pitch black. You can take your hand, you can put it right on the end of your nose. You can't see it. See, we today, in today's world, that's really hard for us to, to find a place where we can do that. Because even if we go home at night and we turn out all the lights, we have, we have ambient light everywhere. Even the, the, the little light on your microwave will light up the room. Or if you've ever been trying to sleep at night and you've got some electronic device plugged in across the room, it's some tiny little blue or little green light, but it can drive you crazy. And it's just that little bitty light. See, you can't fill a room with so much darkness that light won't work. But you can fill a room with so much light there is no darkness. See, when you're in that cave in Mammoth Cave, it's not so dark, it's not so pitch black that you couldn't light a match and change that. And even if you do pull out a match and you light it, it's not a very big light. It could be someone that's on the other side of the tour from you, but now you're going to be able to see that hand in front of your face. You're going to be able to see that outline. See, that little bitty light surrounded by darkness made a difference. And finally, another point that we can, we can take from this passage is light spreads. Light travels. We know this. Light can, can combine to be something great. Going back to uh, verse 14, that second sentence there, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. See, in those times, a city oftentimes was built on a hill, was built on a high place so that for, for military purposes, you could, you could see things coming. You could see an, a, 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 something approaching the city. Well, at night, these cities, they could be seen. They were, they were up on the hill. They were glowing. They were something that you could see. We can experience that today, too. We can relate to this. It's a little harder here, but if you've ever traveled out west, it's flat. You can see those cities coming from a long ways away. I mean, you talk about it at night, the ambient light from those cities we've seen from hours. I think the best example that we can glean today is this. This is a picture of the United States from space at night. And there are no map lines drawn on this map, but if you're pretty good at geography, you could probably fill it in yourself. It's pretty easy to pick out Miami, L.A., New York. You can find Nashville on there. See, these are not single large spotlights shining from Earth towards outer space. Every single light you see on there is a combination of thousands upon millions of car headlamps, street lights, billboards, lights in your house. And all of that combines, it can be seen from outer space. Another example, this is the Korean Peninsula, or the, the southern half of that there is South Korea, and you can see a clear defined line between those two countries, that northern half being North Korea, where only the one light can be seen from space. Now, does this mean that there is no light anywhere in North Korea outside of the city? Probably not, but there's not enough of it that it can be seen from outer space. See, this is a lesson where 
where Christ is, is, is telling us to be the light of the world, but also look how powerful we can be when our light combines with those around us, when, when a congregation of people with lights get together, how much greater our light can be. So if you've noticed so far in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we talked about the conduct being at the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount and the character at the beginning, and, and Christ was kind of building a bridge between those two points with the passages we just read. Well, if you notice, when we started the Sermon on the Mount, when we started with the Beatitudes, Christ was, was giving blessings to people. He was saying these, these type of people, these type of attitudes, these type of characters, well, they're blessed. But see, now... Starting in verse 13, when he starts talking about salt and about light, he's changing that a little bit. He's saying, yes, these, these people are blessed, but now you go be a blessing. He's asking the blessed to go be a blessing, to go be salt, to go be light to the world. And so, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to be salt, and we're going to be light... What do we need to do? How, how, how can we change the world? Well, first of all, I think another point that we can take from this lesson is, is we're called to be an influence, but we're not called to overwhelm people. You're, you know, think about that favorite food again. What if you were just dump a whole lot of salt on that food? Probably wouldn't be your favorite food anymore. Or if I was to take a, a, a spotlight and shine it directly in your eyes, it's going to blind you. See, we're not called to simply win debates. It's not our purpose to showcase how much we know to beat someone over the head with our Bibles and just put them in their place. That's not what God's calling us to do. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should compromise the truth. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is it's our place to be an influence. It's our place to be salt and to be light, to reveal the path and to preserve. And secondly, you can't give what you don't have. I'll say that again. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have salt and light in you, if, 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 if your life is not being salt and light, how can you reveal the path to someone else? How can you preserve the world if you don't have your own salt and your own light within you. See, going back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we've already read this, but you know, Christ says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So what was under their feet? That would be dirt, right? We might call that earth. This is a good analogy to point out that salt, without its saltiness, is useless. There's no different from the world it's trying to preserve. A Christian, without its Christianness, the things that make it a Christian, is no different than the world it's supposed to be preserving. See, you've got to have it in you for it to come out. You can't give what you don't have. Or what about James chapter 1 where 
It says that this man's religion was empty and vain. It's not that he didn't have the religion, but he had deceit in his heart. It wasn't in him. He wasn't pure of heart. He didn't have it in him. We need to make sure that we have it in us, that we have salt and we have light in us. Because we can't give what we don't have. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Finally, then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How you ought to walk and please God. So you got to be different. Our actions and our lives, we should be walking to please God. We should be illuminating. We should be preserving. And you got to start where you are. You got to start where you are. See, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, as he's, he's calling you to be a light to the world, he says, you got to start in your own house. See, if you can't light up your own house, you can't light mine. You got to start where you are. You got to start in your own house. You have to become salt and light. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, we are to be salt and to be light to those that are grumbling, those that are, dis that are disputing. So we may shine like lights in the world. Another reason why we would shine like lights in the world, see, see we know it's not, it's not our glory we're looking for. That, that we are reflecting Christ's light in us. See, Christ, he says, I am the light of the world. So that light that we're reflecting, that light that we're using to reveal is Christ's light. It's Christ living in us and, and our reflection of that. So in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, wage, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, Peter's saying, glorify God with your light. That you are God's chosen people. You're His royal priesthood. That's a powerful role. He says, you ought to be living your, light, your, your life 
in a way so that when others look at you, that they see the salt and the light, that they see the past that you are revealing. So you got to be salt and you got to be light, but it is to give glory to God. Finally, this world, this world loves darkness. See, John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, we don't have to look far to know that this world is dark. We don't have to look far to know that this world is evil. See, Peter was saying earlier, this world is dark, this world is evil, but we've been called into His marvelous light. Be salt and be light. The world loves darkness, and we don't have to look far to find it. We have broken hearts. We have broken homes. We have broken vows. We have broken faith. See, the world needs to see the salt and the light. The world needs to see in your life promises that are kept. The world needs to see friendships that last. The world needs to see marriages that are thriving. And the world needs to see your faith. So finally this morning, just as Christ did with the Beatitudes, and, and he was you know, providing an example, talking about a third person. And then he, he kind of shifted the tone and said, you. Well, this morning, I'm, as I close my lesson this morning, I'm, I'm shifting the tone and I'm saying, you. How's your light? How's your light doing? Are you living your life in a way that would bring glory to God? Are you living your light or life in a way that would reveal the path? Are you walking in light as He is in the light? Or are you walking in darkness? Because if you walk in darkness, it says you're going to stumble. Quit walking in darkness, walk in light. And see, it's easy to be salt and to be light in this building. And I'm not talking about anyone. I'm saying this for myself. It's easy to be salt and to be light in this building. But when you leave here, or on Monday morning, you know, when, when the regular life starts, are you still going to be salt? Are you still going to be light? See, Christ didn't call us to be a dimmer switch with our light. We're not supposed to tone it down based on those we've come around. Or to, or to be a strobe light to turn it on and then turn it off and then turn it on and then turn it off. So how's your light doing? You know, our, our kids in Sunday school, they sing this song, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Are we letting it shine in our life? Have we let Satan blow it out? Have we hidden it under a bushel? How's our light doing? Are we being salt or are we being light? Or maybe, maybe this morning this is the first you've heard of this. Maybe 
Maybe you're wanting to know how to, how to become salt and how to become light. How to have your light added to that city set on a hill. See, we learn and we read throughout the New Testament. You know, because Christ in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's describing the citizen of God's kingdom. But we, we learn in other places throughout the New Testament, you know, the, the, the path of salvation that God has laid out for us, the light, the path that we're supposed to be lighting. And so we know that you have to confess your sins. Come before God with a pure heart. Come before God willing to confess and to repent of your sins. And to be baptized. And Christ will cleanse you. So this morning, if you have any needs, you need to come down front soon after this invitation song. We're here to, to be with you, to support you, to encourage you. If you need anything, or if you have questions, or if you're interested in, in having your light ignited and added to that city on, set on a hill, the time is now, and the opportunity is yours as we stand and sing.